0: I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. Well, we are back with part two of The Murder of Rebecca Gould. Um, And if you don't know what we're talking about, you got to go back and listen to last week's episode. We'll wait. Yeah, so just we'll wait right here and you come back when you're done. Good, you're done. Great, welcome back. Yeah, didn't you like that episode? So good. Left off on a cliffhanger. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. But um, because we left off on a cliffhanger, I don't want to make you guys wait that much longer. So we're going to get through this part kind of quick this week. Don't forget we are attention vampires, so please leave us a little validation. Who was dying on? You were like fortified by Easter this story. I was.
1: I forgot at first. I was like, <laughs> why did Holly stop for a second?
0: Going into it fast. <laughs> <laughs> so leave us that validation so that we don't wither away into hags. Only you can prevent our hagdom. But how? You must be asking yourself. Well, I will tell you, simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts. how? (laughs) Everything is later. (laughs) Well, head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews equal attention, attention equals support, and support equals more and better content for you. But if you just cannot wait, For more We Would Be Dead in your life, don't worry. You don't have to. That's great. I know. You can simply support us over on Patreon. Patreon. There, for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies. You got one of those last week Mm -hmm. from um, Night of the Lepus. That was a wild ride. It was. But if you like that, there are more of those uh, available just for patrons. There's also special minisodes, our weekly after show, Host Mortem which is available in both video and audio formats. Maybe you want to see our faces. Maybe you don't. Both are okay, but why don't you want to see our faces? That's weird. I know. It's fine. Maybe you're running errands. Yeah. I'm not judging. You'll also get a special gift in the mail from us. You'll get the opportunity to be involved in giveaways, merch deals. You'll get an on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. In all honesty, we are here thanks to our patrons, so come on over and be a part of the We Would Be Dead family.
1: Sounds so nice. It is nice.
0: And if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at Pod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts, share our posts, like and share our posts. I like that one. Yeah, that's the desired combination. You can leave us a comment, post about your favorite episode, let us know when you're listening, tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell, uh, tell that broody teen who sits on his front steps with an acoustic guitar and plays the same song every day because you know he's just waiting for someone to stop and comment on his amazingness. What's mm. his name? Luca. That, that is his name. Yeah. He's out there like, today is going to be the day. <laughs> <laughs> like one day, the other girl. She's going to stop, but she's going to be like, hey, is that Wonderwall? Oh, my God. That's like really impressive. It like speaks to my life. Yeah. Can I sit down here and be your girlfriend now? (laughs) That's how it goes, right? I don't do labels. (laughs) Inside, I do labels. (laughs) There's that kid. And uh, so then, your friends and Luca can become fiends, whether we like it or not. <laughs> and we can all hang out together. You know, if he's if he's a fiend, a hundred thousand other like fifteen year old girls will also join. So that's good that's for us too. Exactly, because they're going to be long time
1: listeners. Yeah, exactly. We get them in young
0: mm-hmm. and keep them. <laughs> keep them.
1: Yes, but we If are we've not, learned anything from this podcast. And- <laughs> That's
0: not what we learned. Oh, okay. We did this. That is not our takeaway. Anyway, everybody become fiends and we can all hang out together. Great. We will not indoctrinate your children. No, we're very supportive. Yes. And I think that is all I have in the way of announcements for this week. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin?
1: Well, Holly, um, I don't. No. Yeah.
0: That's, maybe next week. All right. Though. Yeah. Maybe next week. I'm like, I'm thinking maybe next week. Mm. Listen, I'm going to get all excited then. Okay. So if you don't have one, be prepared
1: to I mean, to you're allowed me. to be, yeah, you're allowed to be very excited and get ready. But I, I mean, I think it's coming. Okay. Okay. All right then. On
0: with the show. So. Leslie, you're going to get to go pretty much first this oh week. Oh my God. Right. And you are just throwing me out there. I am. <laughs> I'm just like changing everything up. <laughs> Our routine is totally different. But here's the thing. Last week, we really set the stage for you. We talked about the time period. We talked about where we were. And this week, we're kind of launching in without any of that. So I thought that before we get back to the days surrounding the murder, it would be nice to have a little refresher course. So why don't you tell us a little bit what uh, 2004 would have been like for young, cool adults like Rebecca Gould. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So it was a hard time.
1: George W. Bush was president again. Yeah. We were still dealing with the fallout of 9-11. Uh, Passion of the Christ was in theaters. God And Mel, damn. And Mel
0: Gibson got weird. He got very weird. Got that was weird. in two thousand four. Yeah. Why does it feel like it was like nineteen ninety for me? So I know. So
1: I remember this year I was working at Fye in the mall, mm-hmm. and Passions of the Christ came out, and we had this guy who worked with us, and he had long hair, and he was tall and thin, Uh-oh. and he dressed up as Jesus <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> for the like, oh, for no. when the
1: movie got released. Like at
0: Fye, I was. <laughs> It's not. <laughs> it was so good. Probably not the best. I think
1: his name was Chris, too.
0: <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, I think his name was Jesus. Yeah, I think it was Jesus. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> anyway,
1: I still remember that clearly. Well, that's it a was, crazy thing went, to do. It went over like either people loved it or were like, oh, that's in poor taste. That's what I feel like would happen. <laughs> people would be so offended. Be like, you dressed up
0: But he would like Jesus? check them
1: out and he'd be like... <laughs> Like, peace be with you, or like it was, oh, I was a Catholic schoolgirl, so it made my day. <laughs> Jesus, is here. Jesus is here. Oh my God, guys. I know him. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway. Uh, but it was also a simpler time. Obviously. <laughs> because people could dress up as Jesus and it was okay. Yeah. Uh, Jen and Brad were still together. Ugh. Nicole O'Ritchie and Paris Hilton were besties. Lindsay Lohan was at the top of her career. Britney Spears was and still is our pop idol. MySpace was the social media platform. Uh, Facebook just launched um, as the Facebook and was only for college students.
0: How nerdy. It was the Facebook. The Facebook.
1: Um, Martha Stewart went to jail for five months on securities fraud and obstruction of justice. That's that was right. fun.
0: Yeah, that's why she can be friends with Snoop Dogg now that's because right. she has a little cred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Napoleon
1: Dynamite led to a resurgence in the popularity of the tater tot.
0: Remember we talked about tater tots oh last week. Oh my god! We yeah. talk
1: a lot about some of the things we, I bring up. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. All about the tot. All about the tot. Jessica Simpson was known as a singer, while her sister Ashley was known as the one who lip-sang on SNL. Oh
0: my God. First of all, remember when Jessica Simpson was a singer? That's yeah, wild. Now she just makes great clothes. She does. And I love she her used. shoes. Yeah, yeah, good. And second of all, remember how long we had to talk about Ashley Simpson last week before we started recording? Yeah. <laughs> This is why. (laughs) Yeah, Ashley Simpson's um, reality show was one of the few things my like non-cable television got when I moved Mm -hmm. down here. So I watched too much of it. Yeah, we talked about Ryan Cabrera. And Ryan Cabrera. (laughs) I couldn't remember his name. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Anyway.
1: Anyway, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger became the governor of California. Scrabble was finally getting the recognition it deserved and was inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame. I had no idea there was a slight Scrabble for that long. Wow. Shrek 2 was the top grossing film. See, like, that's such a nice hey, time. Yeah, <laughs> it's a nice hey, time. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> um, but Anchorman was definitely the best movie of the year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about Anchorman. Oh, I didn't. It was a good one. <laughs> Just in a glass case of emotion. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone tuned in on Tuesday nights for American Idol. Desperate Housewives was a national obsession. Oh, which yeah. I still never watched, but everybody did.
0: I watched, like, some of the first season. Yeah. But this is a time in my life where I had—I've talked about this before. I had a television and a DVD player. I had no access—there was no streaming services, and I had no access to cable. So I had, like, three DVDs, and they were 40-Year-Old Virgin, Anchorman, and one other thing. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Google introduced free Gmail accounts. Remember, we used to have, to like, pay for email? Oh, Yeah. Beyonce released her first solo album and won her first Grammy. She got five trophies for that album. I mean, it's Beyonce; she gets trophies for everything. She does. well, now she does. Jennifer Aniston was People's Magazine's most beautiful woman. Jude Law was People's Magazine's sexiest man alive, and Orlando Bloom was People Magazine's hottest bachelor. Oh. Um, Using a tanning bed was still acceptable, and spray tans were for those skin types that just didn't tan but still wanted that orangey summer glow. God damn. Remember when everybody was orange? (laughs) Oh my God, yeah. But either way, tanning was life. The early 2000s were all about college spring breaks, and the one to be at was the 2004 MTV Spring Break Cancun. I loved watching those. Oh,
0: my they God. They were such a mess. Yeah, I know. I always felt like that would be so cool and fun. Mm-hmm. And, like, as a full adult, yeah. I look back and go, oh, no, no. That was just, like, a lot of alcohol poisoning and I sexual know. assault. I know. <laughs> it's so wild. I, like, could not wait to get to college
1: and go to these spring breaks. And I had just graduated
0: from college. And I was like, what yeah. did I miss? I never did any of these things. <laughs> I never went anywhere. So even
1: fashion was a sim- was simpler translucent sunglasses, eyeliners of every color, black, white, red, blue, you name it. We lined our eyes in it. Yes, we did. (laughs) Lip gloss be popping, rhinestones on the face because why not? Actually bedazzling everything was in at this point. Oh, I missed that. I love a sparkle. I I didn't. But my roommate did. She like was constantly bedazzling everything. She's like, look, we can bedazzle our phone cases now. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, wow. She got, remember the... It was like a TV commercial. You could like buy the bedazzler. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she bought that. I had one, but I was like 10 when I had it. Yeah, no, we were sophomores in college. Cool, good. Yeah. Pointy heels were the preferred heels. Uggs and other suede boots were made for walking, especially when wearing jean short shorts or jean miniskirts. Just a lot of jean then. Um, and Uggs. <laughs> and Uggs, yeah. They, they came in pretty hot that year. Other fashion trends were a ruffled miniskirts paired with a tight shirt. Yep. Usually a tight tank top underneath another tight usually see-through shirt. Yep. Oh <laughs> and then Lord. like the low-rise jeans. Von <sighs> Dutch trucker hats, graphic tees, polo shirts, like the preppy style in general too. And
0: you were yep. either like
1: preppy or skatery.
0: Um I had but even Von the, Dutch stuff.
1: Yeah. And even like the preppy look, you can still kind of like utilize for some of the skater look. And some of the skater look you can utilize for some of the preppy look. It was like yep. strange. Um, But Aeropostale was kind of considered like the lower class preppy look. Then you had American Eagle, which was like the middle class. And then Abercrombie was for like, like upper middle and upper class.
0: Abercrombie & Fitch was for people with disposable income and a size zero waist. Yeah. That's it. And I tried real hard. (laughs) I went in there several times and I was like, none of this stuff is anything I've ever wanted to wear. Oh, my God. I wanted everything. And it's $100,000. I wanted everything. I saved up. Actually, my brother ended up
1: giving me money as like a Christmas gift so I could go buy like the ripped jeans, which were like starting to become popular that year, Mm -hmm. too. And I was like, I just want those. They look so hot. (laughs) (laughs) So hot. So hot. Um, So, yeah. So just any like frat style look was great. Um, It was a very fratty time. It was a very fratty time. I didn't.
0: Realize that. Looking back, I'm like, no, the whole culture was just ready for a while.
1: So again, I went to a Christian or like a Catholic school, like a prep school. Yeah. So the American Eagle shoes were so popular. Like we wore those out everywhere, not even just to school. Oh, boy. Like I still have this like compulsion sometimes to be like, I need a pair of those just to have. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't. You don't. I don't. You don't need that. Um. Yeah. So if you weren't, you knew someone who was wearing Britney Spears perfume Curious. That yeah, was the big one definitely that year. I didn't wear that, but I'm sure I knew people. Mm-hmm. Matching the Lord ju- Juicy tracksuits were a must. L'Oreal hair products were top choice for a drugstore buy. Mm. And we all learned that we should be dry- buying sulfate free shampoos then. Cause, oh, yeah. yeah. I remember that <laughs> revelation. Mm-hmm. The poof hairstyle was everything, so a little poof
0: in the front. I did that
1: for a long-ass um, time. a long-ass time. Through college, definitely, because, like, I was in end of high school at this point, but, like, through college, oh, yeah. I still did this. Yeah, I had a poof for a long time. Yeah. Snooky kept it, kept it up really it. us. She really did. Chewing some mint or cinnamon-flavored gum was part of the look. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. was. <laughs> and finally, Paris Hilton taught us all that you can leave the house with your little handbag dog.
0: Well, thank God for that. Because I love my handbag dog. Yeah. He's very cute.
1: So so that was that was 2004. That was 2004. It was a good time. Paris Hilton really like. She shaped the way she shaped a nation. She really (laughs) did. It's like if you look up 2004 trends, it's just whatever Paris Hilton did, we did. I
0: totally forgot (laughs) that she was that influential. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. All right. And that does track because if you look. Have pictures of the people involved in this case, like especially Rebecca, who was like a pretty, like on trend, put together girl. Um, she does have all those Paris Hilton things, and she has a little purse dog. Yeah, she had little purse palms. Mm-hmm. She had all the little like outfit things that you just mentioned. All yeah. those little trendy things. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really struck me is when I was looking at um some crime scene photos. These are not anything graphic. It was like her things, and she had a clear. That makeup case that, like, accordions outward. It's not a caboodle. It's a cube. Mm -hmm. And on the outside, she had stickers on it. And one of them said self-esteem, and it was a butterfly. And I immediately went, that came on jeans. Yeah. It's on my dresser at my parents' house still. Mm -hmm. It was just, like, the weirdest little moment of, like, recognition. So anyway, took you guys down that. So good. Down that tunnel. So when we last left off, we were in the timeline of the weekend that Rebecca, um, ultimately ended up getting murdered, and she and her sister Danielle were making a three-hour drive from their apartment in Fayetteville back to their hometown area, um, which is Mountain View, Arkansas, so Mountain View, Melbourne, that area. So they're driving down together so that they can each spend the weekend with their own little, like, for Danielle, it was her boyfriend, and for Rebecca, it was Casey, who was whatever he was. And they're groups of friends. Then they planned on meeting up when the weekend was over and going back home together. So that's uh, that's kind of where we left off. So they're making the drive from Fayetteville to Mountain View. And at one point, they get a flat tire. And when Danielle is telling um, her version of the story, well, not her version, just how she remembers it, she makes the point of saying that Rebecca got out and she changed the tire herself. And I was like, ooh, all right, girl, you got out mm-hmm. and changed the tire. So okay. she's a, that's uh, to me, that was just a little bit of a demonstration of how capable she was. Yeah. She wasn't like helpless by any means. Uh, then when they arrived in the Mountain View area, Rebecca dropped Danielle off at her boyfriend's Nick's house, and she drove on to Casey's house in Melbourne. So according to numerous interviews Casey had with the police, this is how the weekend went down. So this is, and Casey would be the only person who could give us an account of what Rebecca did that weekend because she was really just with him. She saw some other people and they can kind of confirm, yes, I saw her at this location, but they didn't spend any kind of length of time with her. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have to trust what Casey says here, whether we like it or not. So on Friday, Rebecca arrived while Casey was at work. This is what he says, that she cleaned the trailer. So when he arrived home at about eight o'clock at night, she was still cleaning the trailer. She asked him to do the dishes, but he didn't. He was like, I did not want to do that. I was being lazy. Like, she came in and cleaned the whole house, your house, that she only stays in sometimes, and then you didn't do the dishes. You sound fun. Yeah. Then they watched a movie and went to bed. On Saturday, they drove into Batesville, which is a neighboring town, to rent movies. They went to, like, an actual video store yes. to rent movies. Oh, was I was like, best. I guess they still were around in 2004. I guess you, oh, I did yeah. still blockbuster stuff back Absolutely. then.
1: Absolutely. So then they Hollywood video too. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So they had, to, but they had to drive a couple towns over apparently to get to a a video rental place. Yeah. So I get it. Um, then they went back to the trailer and watched movies. Like that's their day, apparently. On Sunday, Casey and Rebecca went to a drive through a drive in movie theater in Mountain View. Uh, then they stopped at the house of one of Rebecca's friends so she could buy weed. Apparently, this is also part of why she came down on weekends, because she bought her weed from the same guy, this man's name is JB, and she would bring it back with her to college. So she had a pretty good relationship with this guy too. So if she one weekend couldn't pay, she'd come back the next weekend and just pay him for what she owed him and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she kind of kept that going. Then there are a couple of different accounts of what she did at JB's that weekend. Some said that she was just buying weed, like it was a simple transaction, here's money, here's the weed. and. According to JB, I think she was paying off a debt too. He had owed him like 20 bucks. So she came back and said like, all right, here's the money I owe you and like, let's move forward. That will be important later. So I'm mentioning it it now. Perfect. (laughs) All right, so she bought her weed. Then they drove back to Casey's grandparents' house to drop off his truck. Also important. So Casey's father didn't have a vehicle at this point in time. And he was a long haul trucker. So he just drove the truck, but he didn't have like his own car. And his home base was closer to the, his parents' house. So he would just stay with them. Like I mentioned this earlier, but I'm recapping because it's a new episode. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Casey agreed to let his dad borrow his truck the next day. Because Rebecca was there. And she could take him to work in the morning. So they drop off the truck. He gets in the car with Rebecca. Then they drive together back to the trailer. When they get back to the trailer, they find a couple like brown grocery bags full of cleaning supplies on the front porch. They're just like sitting on the porch. Now, if you've looked at crime scene photos in the weeks between these episodes, you will notice all the cleaning supplies on the counter. Those are those cleaning supplies. Okay. They were also used for some more sinister purposes. Right. So yeah. Okay. So Casey gets asked about these all this cleaning stuff, and he's the cop in what the one interview was like, why what was the deal with all of those cleaning supplies? Why did you go out and buy, like, a, there's a lot. Why did you buy all of them? And he said, oh, I didn't. My Aunt Linda drops them off for my father. She buys them for him, and she leaves them on the porch like that. So I figured she just had dropped them off, and, and that was it. Um, and he also mentions rather casually that his Aunt Linda is moving to Texas. Okay. <laughs> Bear, like, clock that. Keep it in your brain. All of this comes back later, and it's a way. It's, these are like little tiny facts that you would never think were important, and they end up being extremely important. Okay. So they bring the bags inside, put them on the counter, and then they smoke a bunch of weed and watch the movies. At some point, they go to McDonald's for food, and then they go to bed. Then the next day is Monday, and that's the day that Rebecca disappeared. So we're back up to when we started the first episode. So she gets up, takes Casey to work at Sonic. Gets the breakfast sandwich and the cappuccino at the possum trot. And then we never see or hear from her until her body is found. Mm -hmm. So looking at all of this information that we have in front of us, the cops decided that they would fixate pretty solely on that one moment when Rebecca went to buy weed. They said, well, she bought drugs. It's drugs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And to me, I'm like, one transaction where she bought weed... They especially like to fixate on the fact that she had she owed JB money, okay. like oh she owed him money, so he probably got really mad and killed her. So they immediately think it's JB, even though she did pay him the money and it was only twenty dollars.
1: Right, it's not. But they like, were like,
0: yeah, no, it's they not like hundreds or thousands in debt. No, but they all they the information they have is just she owed him money. Okay, so they fill in their own blanks for themselves. Yeah. And this is initially a detective for the Arkansas, sorry, Arkansas State Police. His name is Mark Collingsworth, who then passes it on to um, investigator Dennis Simmons because they both get promotions. So okay. good for them. But they have the exact same line of thinking and approach, these two guys. Okay. So the police, these two detective guys, get Rebecca's phone. Obviously, it's sitting in her car. They decide to go through it, which like, that should be the first thing you do. They find a few numbers and they, they start calling her friends. Um, and one of the numbers they find is a local, just some local dude. And they're like, well, you're in her last three or four calls. What did she call you for? And the guy says, oh, she reached out to me because she needed a new alternator on her car and wanted to know if I could come to Casey's house on Sunday and fix it. Okay. And he said, I couldn't do that, but I sent her to someone else who could, and I think he went out there and fixed her car. Mm. So then the cops went, oh, it's definitely the guy that went out and fixed her car. We don't, we don't, this is the link in the chain we missed. He came mm. out and he just killed her and left mm. and didn't even fix her car. Okay. He just came to fix something. Yeah. and So they find out that this was a local man, this guy that was going to fix her car, named uh, Chris Cantrell. Okay, so this guy, he was a heroin addict, He had a hot temper and he was just like kind of a shady guy that people, if you wanted to pin a murder on somebody in the town, like, you could easily pick him. Yeah. But Chris was Rebecca's sister's Danielle. um, Remember Danielle? Her boyfriend, Nick, where she's staying, this is his best friend. Okay. Not even just best friends. Danielle's boyfriend, Nick's family, actually adopted Chris at some Mm -hmm. point because he didn't have a reliable family. He spent all of his time at their house. And they were like, we'll just adopt him. Like, we'll take care of him. This means that Chris is kind of part of Rebecca's family. He had known her for a while. He saw her as like an older sister, kind of. And he was actually like furious and upset when she went missing. Mm -hmm. He was somebody who was very actively trying to find her, but he was a loose cannon. And the cops were like, oh, you're looking too hard, so it must be you.
1: Mm.
0: At first, they thought it was JB, the weed-selling guy. But then they kind of were like, ah, we like Chris better, so we're going to focus on him. Never mind that there isn't really any evidence that either one of them did a single thing. Right. This is just the cops seeing these two guys and going, I would like it if they were the one who did it.
1: Right. They're just convinced that it's not Casey. So
0: they are... They just would like it if they could put one of these people in jail, I think. They're like, drug dealer, degenerate. One of these guys did it, and then we're going to clean up the streets right? or whatever. Never mind that they're... Again, there's no evidence that it's either one of these guys at all. So they bring him in, and JB has like a super reliable alibi. People were at his house. He was with others. He went to work. He went shopping, he was out of town. Like, there's records that he was in a bunch of places and there's no way he could have done anything. But Chris didn't, mostly because Chris was on heroin the whole time. So he can't really, there's stretches of time that he can't really tell you what he was doing. So the cops are like, oh, for sure you you took a bunch of heroin and then murdered this woman. Their new theory that they lean on for like a very long time is that Chris went to the trailer to replace Rebecca's alternator. And when he finished, he asked her for payment. And when she didn't have money, he got really angry and was like, well, you can do other things for me to pay for the alternator. Okay. And she said no. And then he got really mad and killed her. Then he tried to clean up the mess and drove off with her body in the trunk of his car. They put this all together just from she needed an alternator. Right. By the way. I know, but worse things have happened. True. And then they feel that total confirmation that this happened is lies in the fact that Chris happened to have his car impounded and smashed right after the murder, and that would have destroyed any evidence in his car. So they're like, well, that that feels the deal. He definitely did it. OK. But before they like let Chris in on that, they kind of question him and bring him in a bunch of times. And Chris is like, oh, I'm helping. Right. Yes, I am helping. So I'll do anything you want. Literally anything. They're like, then confess to the crime. Basically, yeah. (laughs) Um, And his story was that he hadn't seen Rebecca that weekend, but he knew she was at JB's to buy weed at one point. And he found out that something happened to her. And so he said to the cops, I think JB did it. I know she was at his house. I know he sells drugs. Look into this guy. I think he did it, even though the two of them were friends. He, like, incriminates his friends. So these guys do each other no favors at all. Because when they go to JV, he's like, well, it's probably that guy Chris. I'm mad at him now. Mm -hmm. So this creates a whole vicious circle. So the detectives think that this makes Chris look extra guilty. They're like, oh, now he's also trying to, like, blame somebody else. Mm -hmm. Definitely him. So Detective Dennis Simmons leans really hard into Chris Cantrell. He makes them take a polygraph test, which Chris fails every question, even his name. Oh, okay. Now, we have talked about polygraphs before. Right. They can be a tool. They can also be completely unreliable. You Mm -hmm. can't really use them as concrete evidence. And the fact that he failed on his name Mm -hmm. should have been a red flag. Right. Like he failed the introductory questions that are designed to set a baseline. Right. Chris says that's because he was very nervous mm-hmm. and he knew he was being manipulated. Right. That's what I was
1: going to say. If, if he was failing even his name, I'm sure he was just in there just like, oh my God, they think I did this.
0: Yes. At that point, he felt like he said everything he did made him look like a suspect. He's yeah. like, it didn't matter what I did. They mm-hmm. just took that and made it evidence that I had committed this Mm -hmm. crime.
1: It's like when you forget how to tell the truth or like when you're taking like professional photos and you're like, I don't know what to do with my hands anymore. What do I normally look like? (laughs) What
0: is a smile? Is that right? Does my face look right? (laughs) Yeah, he couldn't. He was just completely undone. And they, they really wanted him to confess, obviously, but he never did. Chris told them he was at his parents' house the day of the murder. He said that he tried to help authorities he tried to do everything he could and they have records of that he doesn't know what else he can give them so at this point they're like they don't really know what to do because I don't think a polygraph alone is enough to just no. like convict somebody of murder and they really want to they really want Chris but he's not confessing and he, he was at his parents house mm-hmm. and then the rumor mill has begun to turn by this point in time people are reporting that they saw Rebecca at a party that weekend they say that she argued with another girl And some say that she had a fight with Casey. Some say she had a fight with another guy. Some say that they saw Casey hitting her at one point. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those things like when someone goes missing, everyone sees her everywhere. Right. So I don't know how much of this is true. I don't know that there was a party. There might have been a get-together. She was in town for the weekend. That makes sense. Then there were other people who came forward and said they knew she had been abducted and tortured from this party. She went to this party. Someone took her and tortured her. Okay, well, we, we have evidence that that didn't happen. Yeah. So, okay, where is that coming from? But the cops, well, let's be honest, lead detective Dennis Simmons, were still pretty sure it had to be drugs. Right. Even though at this point, signs are starting to lean in the direction of domestic violence, mm-hmm. considering people said they saw that happen. Okay, so they're also saying that they saw Rachel
1: and Casey at this party.
0: Rebecca? Yes, sorry. Um, Yeah,
1: Rebecca and Casey at this party.
0: Yes. Okay. They say they saw them together. Okay. And that he hit her. Right. I have no confirmation that that ever happened, Mm -hmm. but there are a few people that say that. But if you were a police officer making wild assumptions off every single fact you heard, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't that be one of them? Why wouldn't you be like, ooh, you said you think her boyfriend hit her? Right, but they're also going off the
1: fact that they that Casey told them what they did that day and going to a party was not it. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's So they're probably, I mean, they should be taking everything into consideration. That's what I'm saying. It's just,
0: it's, it's surprising to me what they choose to, to give credence mm-hmm. to and what they
1: don't. But it seems, I remember you saying this last week that Casey's alibi is, like, concrete to them. Well,
0: yeah, to them. Yeah. they Because they just choose to take stock in this kid. He looks like someone they feel they should believe. So I think the theory that she died because she was the kind of person who made bad choices, stole and did drugs, was easier for the public to swallow. So that was the one the police really tried to, like, force into being. Okay. They were like, okay, well, if we say that this girl was, you know, raff anyway, and she died because of a drug debt. The public at large probably won't be worried that this could happen to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It put the fault on the victim too. So this makes her kind of responsible for her own death and made the men in that town safe. Nobody stole her. Nobody like just did this out of nowhere. It was, it was, she brought it on herself because she didn't pay for drugs. <sighs> I... I couldn't hate more. Yeah. But it really does seem like that's what happened here for a little while. Now, as convenient as that theory is, as neat and tidy as you can put it into a box, it just isn't true Well, it's just not fitting. It doesn't fit at all. But they tried so long to make it a thing.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And in pushing this theory with all their might, detectives were ignoring a virtual buffet of very valid and telling clues. But before they could get to any of them, they had to explore another insane and definitely untrue theory. Buckle up. This time, it came, this information comes from an inmate at the local prison. Okay. Great. He had dated a girl um, named Jennifer, who was, remember when I said last week, uh, Rebecca dated the same boy, a boy named Justin, for seven years when she was in high school. Okay, Mm -hmm. so this is his new girlfriend. Okay. Her name is Jennifer. And the inmate had dated Jennifer previously and killed her whole family. Oh, my God. Uh Uh-huh. Twist. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, so she had dated this man. This man kills her whole freaking family and goes to jail. And then he talks to the cops and goes, hey, listen, like, Jennifer is a volatile person, and she's jealous, and I think she killed that girl. And the cops went, huh, well, inmate, tell us more. (laughs) guys oh my god yeah why not trust him and i will say this guy is very well spoken he does present himself well but still he murdered her whole family right so he is definitely not
1: thinking clearly
0: i don't think so but you know what who am i i mean he probably does
1: think jennifer's a vile person like why else would he have killed the whole family (laughs) well yeah
0: But she's probably not. Well, no. In this case, she kind of is. Okay. I don't know her personally. Maybe she's very nice now. Maybe she was going through a bad time. But all accounts are that she she has like an assault record and like she she was like
1: prior to her family being killed. Because yes. anything after, I'm kind of like right. No, you, prior you to that. You girl.
0: I get it. No, prior to that, and there okay. are you know there are people who rumble that like she kind of was involved possibly in her family being killed. Oh, I have no evidence of that. I have no idea. That's just okay. rumblings. But she did start a lot of fights, and she okay. was very jealous, and she did beat some girls up, and she, I mean, that's, that is just who she was. Okay. And I think the cops were also thinking, like, maybe he'll talk about drugs, too, and then everything will fit together and we'll be good to go. Right. <laughs> so, according to this guy, Jennifer had killed Rebecca in a jealous rage because she discovered that Justin was still in love with her. And I don't think it's any secret that Justin remained in love with her for a long time. He ended up like naming his daughter Rebecca. and Yeah, it's really sweet. And Jennifer did have a violent past and a violent present. And she didn't like Rebecca. All of that is true and provable. But she also had been out shopping all day on Monday and had receipts from every store she was in to prove it plus security cameras to back it up. So there's like, there's, like, no way right. she went to that trailer on Monday and killed Rebecca. Right. She was having a nice day. She was. Well, me time, out shopping. But we're not done with them yet. Because then when the police went back and interviewed Casey again, Casey said, oh, well, you know, I never thought about this, but I think the only person who could have done it would be Justin. Justin, when he was dating Rebecca, was violent to her and mean. And she was terrified of him. Mm-hmm. And they broke up right like a few weeks before this happened. And he was really mad. So then he proceeds to tell this story. I don't know how much of this is true and how much of it isn't. But he says that Rebecca had been dating both of them at once. Mm -hmm. And that at one point she came to the trailer with Justin to see Casey and was like, Hey, Casey, we can't be together anymore. I'm going to be only with Justin. Sorry, buddy. And he was like, okay. So she goes off and gets an apartment with Justin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And then eventually, like, she knows she just cannot quit Casey, obviously. So mm-hmm. she ends up seeing him again. And he says, she seemed like she was afraid of Justin. He seemed intimidating. They then came to the trailer again. Rebecca brought Justin to the trailer so that they could shower. 'Cause apparently whatever apartment they got together had no shower. Okay. So he just let his ex that he's in love with and her new boyfriend come in and shower. Right. And Yeah, but Casey, so from
1: okay. I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not necessarily trying to back his story. Okay. But if Casey from from the sound of it, it just sounded like they were friends with benefits.
0: It definitely is. And in in his head, no. In his head, they were, like, in love. But in her head, they were just friends with them. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then, yeah, that could
1: still be kind of weird. But if he was still trying to come off, like, I'm your friend and I'm still here for you. Yeah, you're right. Then she might still be like, well, this is still, like, this guy just has always given me, like, a place to be at. so. This is where we would go.
0: And her stuff is still there. Yeah. Remember, she never moves her stuff out of this place. Yeah. She just leaves it there.
1: Yeah. It's it's weird. It's it's uncomfortable. Yeah. But I could still see that being something.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> so they go there to shower, and while Rebecca's in the shower, it's just Casey and Justin like sitting there staring at each other. Yeah. Like trying to talk. And he says, Casey says that Justin gets a text from Jennifer. And he shows it to Casey like, oh, this other bitch. Like, I'm with two women at once. And Casey's like, ugh, no, no good. You're mistreating the love of my life and you're with another girl. Awful. So then they're done showering and they leave. And he says something transpires after that between her and Justin that leads her to, like, want to leave. To want to leave the apartment that she has with no shower with Justin and move in with her sister. And she tells Casey... I want to leave. I want to leave away from you. I want to leave away from, especially Justin. I have to get away from him. And then she's like, well, maybe not you. Maybe you should come with me. And he says, no, I can't come with you. My life is here. Sonic is here. I cannot possibly leave. (laughs) There aren't Sonics everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And she was like, okay, well, I'm going to ask my sister. And this is the point in time wherein her and her sister decide they're going to go to Fayetteville to go to college. Okay. So that sort of lines up. Yeah, Her having a moment wherein she wants to turn her life around and she wants to leave all these like twisted relationships behind. This also tracks with her talking to her dad and telling her dad she wants to go to college and clean up her life. Mm -hmm. So in a roundabout way, I do believe something like that happened. Mm -hmm. I believe she had a moment where she wanted to change her life. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily believe it's because Justin was violent. Mm -hmm. But this is what Casey says in an interview. And I mean,
1: and maybe, and maybe Justin. I mean, again, they're still young. They're, and maybe Justin was hooking up with some other girl. They'd been dating for on and off for seven years. Well, I'm pretty sure that that could have been a thing. I don't yeah. know that that means he beat her up. Well, though. that's what I mean. Like, but just the simple act of like, he was maybe yeah. cheating on her, or just being with somebody yeah, else. For sure. But also Rebecca was doing the same thing.
0: Exactly. So I'm like, I feel like everything was a little loosey goosey, but yeah. I could see how she would like, You get to be a certain age, you take a look at your life and you go, what am I doing? Exactly. I don't want this anymore. I want to go to school and Mm -hmm. I don't want to be living with these dudes. And I, this is what I want of my life. Mm -hmm. So I believe that happened. So they look into Justin, who also has an airtight alibi. And by airtight, I mean like receipts, witnesses, security cameras. Justin was nowhere near any of this at the time. Mm -hmm. So they're like, kind of kind of out of options at this point they still really want chris cantrell to be the one who did it like really badly there's still like a whole school of people who um who think he did commit this murder i i am not of that school of thought a few years after oh i don't know where on the timeline it is because this doesn't it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things but he ended up going to jail because he was threatening justin so hard this Chris guy, because Justin was saying, I think Chris did it. He was of that school of thought because of course he wants doesn't want people to think he did it. Mm-hmm. So you have to pick somebody. And he's like, I think it's this guy, Chris. He's a degenerate and all this stuff. And so Chris started like threatening to kill him and he got put in jail. Mm. So he's, I believe, still in jail. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's very messy. Very, very messy. So all of that mess happens, right? And then years go by. They're stuck. There's no advancing. Suddenly it's 2016. And there still hasn't been any forward motion in this case. But it's not classified as cold. It's active, which means that journalists have no access to any court document, any documents at all. Oh, okay. They can't access the investigation. They can't access the interviews. Nothing. So in 2016, Dr. Larry Gould received an anonymous letter that posited a new theory. And this one had a confession of sorts. The letter was in swoopy pink ink. It's like clearly a younger girl's handwriting. Mm -hmm. And it claimed to be from a student that was attending Ozarka College at the time. And she said she had overheard a frightening conversation right after Rebecca's death. She heard a few of her fellow students discussing violently killing a girl uh, that they met at a party and dumping her body on the side of the road. All the details of the crime they committed matched Rebecca's murder. Unfortunately, this letter really never checked out. It, I mean, like, there was just no possibility that what this woman said happened, happened. Right. Um so long ago, too. Yeah, it's very weird. And you know what? Maybe she did overhear, like, an insane conversation. And in which case, like, they should be exploring what exactly she yeah, did hear. of course. Or maybe she heard the details about Rebecca's murder and just spun them into something because she wanted to be helpful. I, I don't know. She also gave a very vague description of the students that she heard over she overheard saying these things. But this all this really seemed to be a dead end. Like it was this random letter that came in, and it had this whole long theory that wasn't connected to anyone. It seemed like she even knew. Mm-hmm. It was very wild. But they looked into it, and who knows? And then. Magical things began to happen. First, Katherine Townsend began to work on Helen Gone, which is like the definitive podcast about this case. And that stirred up everything in Melbourne and Mountain View because she was loud. Mm-hmm. She went on the radio. She had interviewed George Jared, the journalist, numerous times. Um, so he had entered the chat again. And suddenly the case came back to the forefront of everyone's mind. And suddenly, with, with the benefit of time, People are looking at this and the investigation of the crime and suddenly they're looking at the detectives like, why didn't you, why was this what you did? Right. And in 2018, Helen Gaughan was released and another magical thing happened. Uh, Jennifer Bouchelle's got involved. Jennifer is a forensic scientist and a profiler of sorts. And she took one look at this case and she's a professor. We talked about this before. She's like a, a professional. She works for the United States Military uh, College and stuff. And she looked at it and said, like, you, you guys have barked up the entire wrong tree. You messed this investigation up horribly. Because she saw the other line of thinking. She immediately stuck on the fact, that and you did this last week, so you're basically a detective. <laughs> Great. <laughs> that the killer cleaned up. She said, how could you possibly think it's any of these random people when they cleaned up? Yeah. They're not going to clean up this crime scene. It's got to be somebody that is invested in this Home, mm-hmm. basically. This told her that from moment one, they were not dealing with a stranger murder. According to Jennifer, in nearly every case where the body is moved and cleanup happens, there is a quote publicly known direct link between the killer and the victim, and the killer and the location. Which means that whoever killed Rebecca almost definitely knew her in some way and knew the location well enough to care about cleaning it up, not leaving the body for the residents to find. So. They didn't want it in the home. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to destroy the house at all. They washed a full load of bloody towels and put them in the dryer. Right. Like they cared. And they knew where the stuff was. Yeah. Anyone random would have bagged that shit up and disposed of it in some way. It would have been in a dumpster or burnt or they would have burnt the whole damn trailer to the ground because it was held together with like toothpicks and duct tape. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't have been hard. Not to mention... Have you ever tried to do laundry in somebody else's house when they weren't home? It's impossible. You can't find it. And every (laughs) washer is like different. I don't, I don't
1: know why. They just all become space machines. And you're like, they
0: do. (laughs) The likelihood that you can quickly and efficiently find the washer, dryer, (laughs) laundry soap, and give yourself a tutorial on how to work their unfamiliar machines in a very like limited amount of time is extremely unlikely.
1: Mm -hmm. And then also to not be getting your DNA all over the place by
0: staying in there any longer. Or have DNA that would raise a red flag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, the killer could have worn gloves. Right. Uh Yeah, but, I mean, they spent time there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they were there for a while. Something is going to give. Yeah. But also, a stranger would not care about any of that. They, you know... Unless they were dog lovers, they would have just trashed the place. Yeah. Like, oh, no, don't kill the dogs. Oh, no, the dogs need somewhere to live. Exactly. <laughs> we're cleaning for the dogs. But then take the dogs. <laughs> right. Just take them. I don't know. Strangers who kill do not stick around no either. either. then they would have found them if they took That's the true. dogs. This so. would
1: have been entirely different. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's true. But that's the other thing. Statistically, strangers who killed, they don't hang around in the house. No. Because the more time you spend at an unfamiliar crime scene, the more likely you are to be caught, and the more likely you are to leave some evidence right. from your body in one way or another. Now, this is 2004, which means we don't have touch DNA yet, but we do have extensive fingerprinting and other DNA. Like a hair is going to fall off your head or something. Yeah. That's just going to happen. Yeah.
1: It's It's still, it's 2004. It's. Yeah, it's not 1910. we can solve
0: murders. (laughs) Which is why this is so wild to me. Like, it seems like you guys have a lot of evidence and you didn't go into any of it. You just went, ooh, drugs. Yeah. Which I don't like. So, clearly this was someone who knew where they were and knew what they were doing and who they were doing it to. And this makes sense. If you want to think it was Justin, he had been to the trailer on two separate occasions. So, Mm -hmm. maybe. Jennifer, however, had never been there one time and neither had Chris Cantrell or Weed Dealer JB. They wouldn't have known where the laundry was or what to do or given a shit about cleaning up that trailer. I mean, I think that's the thing. I think
1: that even if, I mean, it was a trailer, so I'm sure most likely all the laundry stuff was just very easy to find.
0: Right. But again, they wouldn't have cleaned up. No. That's just. Bottom no, and line. it's like a full washer-dryer situation I'm with, like, like cabinets want, and stuff.
1: I don't want Casey to come here with, like, dirty towels. This, this would be But isn't rude. it convenient that all the cleaning supplies they used were on the counter? Right. Well, they just got dropped off. Isn't that convenient? Mm. It was a crime <laughs> of opportunity. Was it, though? <laughs> they were like, you know what? There's a lot of cleaning stuff here. I might
0: kill somebody today. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So... Anyway, not that any of that mattered because the Jennifer Justin and Chris and JB were cleared, but okay. still it's worth pointing out that like yeah. they had the had the police originally done a little bit of investigation. They would have they would have seen that like there's no way they could have done those things. Right. Anyway, one other thing is that in order to get Rebecca's body out of the house and to the location where she was ultimately left, you would need two people probably because a dead body is dead weight, mm-hmm. and it's hard to carry. She weighed like 102 pounds, but 102 pounds totally limp spread out over her body is actually not easy to pick up. So one little person probably couldn't have done it. You would have needed two or one very strong person, mm-hmm. which kind of rules out Casey carrying her out on his own or Jennifer. So. The other thing with the dump site is um, to get a body there without being noticed, you would have had to know that there are like little dirt roads that go directly from where the trailer was to this spot. Because every paved major road that you'd have to take to get there, you have to go either through the town and drive past the sheriff's department or through town another way. But it takes, it's very roundabout. It would take you like 40 minutes yeah but if you knew the area and you knew where you were going you could take these little back dirt roads and get there in 15 minutes Mm -hmm. so you're clearly looking for someone who is familiar with that okay so can we talk about casey now maybe can we yeah because that's immediately who these like detectives in the future want to look at or you Mm -hmm. know not detectives but yeah people looking at this case with the benefit of time are like why isn't this immediately what we were looking at? What are, what are we doing? Why are we wasting our time? Yeah. So, yes, we can. So from the jump, Casey's story was full of holes. This airtight alibi was not airtight. The te- detectives wrote him off as a nice little white boy who couldn't have done anything wrong. And he did have a good reputation in town for the most part. Like, if you ask people about Casey in town, they were like, he's really sweet. He's a nice kid. He's always helpful and polite and mild-mannered. and He plays the guitar. But that doesn't outrule evidence. Right. First off, there are some curious things about Casey's part of the story once the disappearance occurs. First, he claims that when he left Rebecca that morning, she told him that she was gonna go back to the trailer, sleep all day, she just wanted to catch up on sleep and come back to Sonic to pick him up at four o'clock in the afternoon. But she never planned on staying around that long. She had plans to pick up Danielle that morning. Mm -hmm. Why would she say that? Second, after she doesn't show up to pick him up, Casey just blows the whole thing off. He's just like, oh, well, I guess she ditched me again. She's ditched me before. I'll just get a ride with one of my friends from Sonic. And on their way to this house party he goes to, they drive right past his house. hmm And he doesn't want to, like, pick up, change his clothes or check on her. Like, she didn't come to pick you up. Don't you want to see, like, if she's there or what's going on? Uh-uh. He just goes right by, takes off his Sonic shirt in the car with his friends, goes to the party with whatever he had on under it. Okay. But her, okay, (laughs) her car is out front. Yep. So I bet,
1: so if that still is the case, he was probably just like, fuck, no, I'm not going in there. She just didn't pick me up.
0: What a bitch. (laughs) I don't know exactly where the car is parked either because all of the pictures of it look like it's in a garage and yet they don't have a garage or it doesn't seem that they do. Yeah. But like, it looks like it's in some sort of cement structure. Mm -hmm. So he might not have been able to see it from the road. Mm-hmm. because he doesn't mention her car until he says he goes back there. Okay. And, oh, and also, you know what? I, I will amend that statement because from the road, you can, the house is like set back real far. Yeah. So you drive past it, but you wouldn't necessarily be able to see it. Okay. I just, and, and if she was there, wouldn't you want to go there and be like, what the fuck? Why didn't you pick me up? Right. But
1: I guess because what he had been saying was like, that's not abnormal. She's flaked on me before. Well,
0: if she had left. He said, "I thought she just went back to her house with Danielle. I thought she just like blew me yeah. off and left. Mm-hmm. So if she was still there, that would be yeah, that would be out of character. But he didn't check. He just just left. Mm-hmm. All right. So he stays overnight at these people's house after smoking a bunch of weed. Um, they take him on the way there. They take him to uh, get his truck at his grandparents' house. So he's in possession of his car at this point when he's spending the night. His car is there. Just mm-hmm. to clarify." Then the next morning, this is where his story gets weird. He leaves the house early because he has to go to work. But at this point, he has lost his Sonic shirt that he took off the day before. He can't find it. So he goes home to get one. According to Casey's interviews at around 7.30 a.m. on Tuesday morning, he went back to the trailer, saw Rebecca's stuff was all there, saw the car parked at the trailer. He saw her clothing folded on the bed. Which she previously had two comforters and pillows on it, but was now stripped down to a bare mattress. He saw the dogs running around. He saw the dog shit all over the ground. He grabbed his shirt out of the closet and went to work. She wasn't there, and all that stuff was like that. And her car was there. And you have these messages on your phone that say she's missing. Oh, see, like that's weird. Yeah. Okay. And there are, and there are also like every time he talks about what happened, he says things vastly differently. Like, oh, yeah, I got the voicemails. I just hadn't called them. Or I talked to m- her mom or her sister that night. Or I didn't talk to her to the next morning. Or I didn't, like, he changes it every time.
1: Right. And that that's something that I feel like you would remember. Exactly. Like, getting that news or how you would have gotten it.
0: Yeah. It's very, very strange. Um, And I don't know if I need to remind anybody, but this is also a bloody scene. Mm-hmm. He says he didn't see anything. Now, I know that, like we mentioned last week, the cops did do their first walkthrough and didn't notice much, but he lives there. Yeah. That's different. I
1: know, but if he is just like a dirty, yeah, like 20-something-year-old guy, I guess yeah, they're just messy and blind to things. I
0: guess, yeah. Just
1: throwing that out there. Especially if he did make a point to say when she like cleaned the house and then mm-hmm. he didn't want to do the dishes, like he's okay with a mess.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's just like, whatever.
0: Yep. So he got his shirt and then went to work. Police doesn't, don't think this is weird at all. They also didn't notice that a piece of his story is left out in a bunch of his own later re- retellings. So in later interviews, he says he never went home. Oh, I didn't go home. Right. But, but I listened to the interview wherein he details exactly mm-hmm. what happened when he went home and describes the trailer the way it was found, basically. Yeah. So... You went home, You went home. What do you mean you didn't go home? All of a sudden, you didn't go home. He also never joined in the search efforts or delivered posters or or missing signs or was interviewed for the news or did podcasts. He didn't do anything. Hmm. And um, he still lives in that trailer with his new wife and children. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think that is wild. Why, why 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 would that wife want to live in there yeah he, he lives in that trailer he lives in it he didn't at first he went to stay with friends for a little while because he said he was afraid that whoever got rebecca might come back and get him mm-hmm. but then he wasn't that afraid because he, he just moved like, right back in like,
1: Oh wait it was me
0: <laughs> wait, wait i'm afraid of myself it's so weird so at this point in time the Rebecca Gould Facebook board has begun to pop off. So we're, we're hitting about 2019 territory okay. right now. This is
1: so crazy. I know.
0: Information is being gathered and shared and people are forming theories. And most of the people who are, who are looking at this from somewhere else, you know, like they, they can see they're not in the town. Their theories center around the McCulloughs, which would be Casey's family. And the curious reasons why they have completely skipped over like this, this angle the past 16 years. Why has no one investigated this? It seems mm-hmm. very obvious. Theories continue to swirl and now scientists are weighing in. Forensic experts are scratching their heads and something has got to give. Then in 2020, a new detective is handed this case. So finally, something gives and they're like, we gotta, this dentist guy cannot keep doing this. he and And meanwhile, Before Detective Mike McNeil gets the case, because we're going to go down to business in a second and it's going to go fast because this guy does his job. But Detective Dennis Simmons, in the rehashing of this case, like in 2016, when they start re-interviewing people and stuff, when it comes to interviewing like Casey and Casey's friends, he sent them a copy of their original interviews to review before he re-interviewed them so that they could remember what happened. Oh my goodness. You mean so they could get their stories straight? That's not what you want. This is so strange. He just didn't want them to be guilty. He just didn't. I don't know why, but he was like, let me help you guys out. It is the craziest thing. I, I don't know what the end game is here. I really don't. So Detective Mike McNeil takes over the case and he looks at it and goes, yeah, we have to look at the McCulloughs immediately. This is first thing. And uh, plot twist, there are more of them than we thought. Mm, yeah. Okay. So it looks as though the original documents and information gathered for this case um, in them, detectives had interviewed Casey and a lot of his family members, mm-hmm. more than we knew, and that it was possible that one of his brothers was even staying at the trailer at the time of the murder. Oh. We also didn't know that. He could have even been in the trailer when it happened. Wait, didn't we know? Didn't we know that... Um... Somebody was staying there with him? Well, we talked about this last week because it kind of came up. Oh, okay. Okay. But, um, okay. So that's good to know. So we didn't know previously. Yeah. His brother Corey has the little bedroom in the house, like the single bed. He stays there sometimes. Okay. It is not really clear when he does and when he doesn't. I guess this kid is kind of like free roaming. Okay. So we, then there's another one. In 2019, a man named William Miller had joined the Rebecca Gould Facebook group. And he had some rather helpful details to offer. He said that apparently the neighbors had heard Rebecca screaming Mm. the morning of the murder. He also describes the fact that the dirt roads the killer would have had to have taken to conceal transporting her body were not obvious. And so it had to be a local. They were definitely looking for a local. This may seem fishy if it was like an isolated incident of tips, but he's on a Facebook board full of people speculating about this. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't be. It's not going to raise any red flags. But he was sending some tips to Jennifer and George via direct message. He had messaged Catherine Townsend. He's like trying to reach out. And eventually he comes up in a conversation between Jennifer and a woman who had joined the board named Miranda. Now, Miranda had dated Casey briefly after Rebecca's death. And she knew his family. And she told Jennifer that this William guy that's messaging her is Casey's cousin. Okay. Which is also kind of curious. Miranda dug a little further, and she's really smart. And she did this by um, going back and reading family obituaries and creating a, a family tree. And I've done this too. Mm-hmm. So if you read obituary, they're like, predeceased by, and they mm-hmm. leave behind. And that's like everybody's link, and you can make a family tree. She did that for the McCullough's. And it seems that William Miller, or Billy as they called him, was Casey's paternal first cousin. His mother, Linda, mm-hmm. remember Aunt Linda who dropped off all the cleaning supplies? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was Casey's father's sister. So William Miller and Casey share a grandfather.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The grandfather who owns the trailer. Okay. Which meant that William Miller had probably been there more than once Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and was familiar with the lay of the land. Right. As it turned out, both Casey and William Miller had lived in Texas when they were kids. They both grew up in Texas, and they were really close when they were kids. Casey moved to Arkansas when he was in middle school, and eventually Linda Miller did as well. But by that time, William Miller was an adult, and he stayed behind in Texas. But he did visit a lot. And it seemed that he was visiting on the weekend of Rebecca's murder. Okay. And that right after the murder, his mother and younger brother abruptly moved back to Texas. Mm. And I say abruptly, Casey mentions that before. Remember, he says, my Aunt Linda, who's going to move to Texas this weekend. But at that time, they hadn't done any like preparation for a move. They hadn't rented U-Hauls. They hadn't prepared anything. And there's more, but I'll get to that in a second. At this point, Detective McNeil, who is rounding up rounding up and questioning all the McCulloughs, asks Jennifer, George, and Catherine for their help. So he goes to these people who have been in, investigating this crime and says, please give me your information. Now, in the past, they have tried to give their information to the other detectives. And the right. detective said, get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Go play your little games elsewhere. You don't know what you're talking about. Right. But this one take stock in all of the work they had done and says, please, please, please let me take a look at it. And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, yes, take it all, please. Detective McNeil is very different. So he puts all of this information together and notices something peculiar in the original documents. William Miller had been on their radar at first. He was interviewed, there, or he wasn't interviewed, sorry. There were statements given from neighbors indicating that a man that matched his description had gone out to the trailer that Sunday and had been seen, like, cutting the weeds in the backyard. A neighbor said he went to the trailer earlier that weekend, too, and had spoken to Casey. They'd seen him having a conversation with Casey. Okay. So, like, that guy was around. Right. And Aunt Linda was behaving kind of weird, too. Right after the murder, she abruptly pulled her younger son out of school and moved him to Texas without so much as reserving U-Haul trucks in advance. So here's Mm -hmm. the weird thing. That Tuesday, so day after the murder, she took William with her to the school to withdraw his brother. Why are you taking your adult son to school to to withdraw his brother from school? And the principal recalls that William was acting extremely strangely. He was there, but not for any reason. And he was, like, very jumpy and, like, pacing and clearly distracted. And he's like, what is this, like, weird, nervous guy doing here? Yeah. And then the three of them decided they wanted to go on vacation to Branson before they left Arkansas. So they like immediately left. Mm. And then Billy went back to Texas, where he had been living anyway. When asked about his cousin's presence, so when Detective McNeil went back and was like, uh, Casey, your cousin was in town. What's the deal with all this information? Casey changed his statement again. And he said, Oh yeah, I forgot. I did see my cousin that Sunday. Oh, me and Rebecca both saw him. He says that they had been driving back to the trailer and William saw Casey's car. And so he pulled in behind them so he could sit and catch up with Casey. And at that point, he met Rebecca and chatted with them. And then he left. Casey left that out of every interview, never told anybody that. And now he just conveniently remembers. Uh Oh, yeah. All those times you asked me for exactly everything that happened and I didn't tell you that. Mm -hmm. Cool. In the years that followed... Billy, or William Miller and Casey had been texting about the murder nonstop, basically. Oh, wow, okay. William Miller's texts to him are all like, what do you remember? Do you remember this? Do you remember that? The killer had to be this, it had to be that. Then there are a lot of incriminating texts that say, say things like, they're trying to trip us up. They're trying to trick us. Mm. Us? Right. There's an us now? Why are they trying to trick you? Mm-hmm. They re- their eyes had never been on Casey. Well, what would lead you to believe they were doing that? So they're all very strange. Um, And I can read some of them later if you guys want. In addition to this, it appears that William Miller had gotten married and had a child and then got divorced. He also had been arrested for abusing that woman and that child. Okay. And then he moved to the Philippines Mm. where he remarried and had more children. But he wasn't nice to that wife or that child either. Okay, so definitely history of
1: abuse. Yeah, working on an
0: offshore offshore oil rigs in the Philippines where he did make money and did have a nice home. There are also other curious things on his record, things related to soliciting and mistreating sex workers and having videos on his phone of, like, barely coherent sex workers tied up. Oh. And um, the cherry on that cake is um, eventually when he does get brought in for this, which we'll get to in a minute, he had child sex abuse material on his phone. Okay. So this is a pretty dark guy. Yeah. Detective McNeil, who, who had always said that when he got assigned this case, he was treating it as though it just happened, mm-hmm. which was smart. And he finds all of this pretty concerning. He also notices that Aunt Linda had been questioned in Texas at her home following the murder. So he's like, I'm going to call her again. So he does this interview over the phone. And she's real shady about most things. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, we just moved. I have no idea what happened. And um, when authorities located William Miller in 2020, he was living in Oregon. But Aunt Linda said he was in the Philippines. She's like, oh, he's out of the country. You can't get to him. Mm -hmm. He was not out of the country. He had moved back to Oregon. So she lied. And they have evidence that she lied. Mm -hmm. But when faced with that lie, she just stopped answering the phone. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. You know? yep. <laughs> that's, that's appropriate. <laughs> I know. Then on November 7th, 2020, Detective McNeil traveled to Oregon where he brought William in for questioning. So he's questioning him in Oregon where he mm-hmm. lives now. For an hour or so, they chatted about the case and William just sat there bragging about his life in the Philippines. He said he lived like a king. He said he's been trying to be helpful with this case and he had his theories and stuff. But when they got around to talking about the details, specifically about Casey, Detective McNeil made a really bold move and he went with a lie. He told William Miller that they had found a wash rag in his truck with Rebecca's DNA on it. Mm -hmm. He's like, we found blood spatter. We found this. It's in your truck. So then William Miller pivoted and tried to make up a story about seeing men break into the trailer. Um, He's like, oh, they broke in and I tried to help, but I couldn't. But Detective McNeil is like, not clearly not buying that whatsoever. So according to the Northeast Arkansas Times, the rest of the interview went like this. And um, most of this is directly from the probable cause affidavit, which is available for anybody. First, they say Detective McNeil responded to his story about like men breaking in with this quotation. What you are saying is ridiculous. Tell me what you did, Billy. Tell me how you or, or tell me how you helped Casey cover it up. So that's also interesting. Mm-hmm. And then William Miller asked to step out of the room to console his mother. So he was like, before I tell you anything, I got to go talk to my mother, who had been sitting out there waiting Mm -hmm. for him. Then he comes in afterwards and confesses. Miller said he was out hunting early that morning on property adjacent to the trailer house. Remember, I said it's like big open. There's like a lot of property around it. And it belongs to the McCullough family, so he Mm -hmm. could have done that. He said he noticed Rebecca's car and decided to go to the trailer. He hid his truck in a nearby field. He knocked on the door and she answered. He identified himself as Casey's cousin and asked if he could use the phone. He claims this is the first time they'd ever met. Not true. She walked into the bedroom and laid back down in bed with her head facing away from the open door. As he pretended to talk on the phone and urged to kill her overcame him, he said. He began to pace back and forth in the trailer and suddenly a loose leg on the piano fell to the living room floor. It's like from the heavens. He picked it up, walked into the bedroom, and struck Rebecca Gould twice in the head, shattering the piano leg. He then got the necktie and strangled her. Quote, it was a spur of the moment thing. She didn't know it was coming, he said. Afterwards, he wrapped her body in a sheet and placed her next to the bed. He threw a number of bloody items into the laundry, including the bedding, and flipped the mattress. He took Gould's clothes out of her suitcase. He wanted to move her body with the suitcase, but it was too small, he said. He spent about 15 minutes cleaning the trailer. He bleached spots of blood and tried to remove his DNA from surfaces he touched. Miller said he took Gould's body and several items, including the suitcase, to his truck. He claims that he drove through the entire town of Melbourne with Gould's body, in the back of his truck, even though there is a rudimentary gravel road that leads from the vicinity of the McCullough trailer to the spot where she was dumped. Miller said he drove right past the turnoff for the Izzard County Police Department. He dumped her body, then he went to a local car wash where he cleaned the bed of his truck and threw the shards of the piano leg and the sheet she was wrapped in into the trash. He told McNeil where he could find the suitcase he tossed somewhere in rural Izzard County. The murder was never far from his mind, Miller said. He had a picture of her gravestone in his phone, and the passcode on his phone was 0204. It is unclear how he acquired the photo of the headstone. He told investigators that he hadn't been back to Arkansas since the week of the murder in 2004. Okay, so that's problematic. Yeah. It's a confession, but there's a lot of pieces that aren't,
1: that didn't happen.
0: Exactly. He does go back to amend it later several times. Mm-hmm. Following his confession, William Miller was obviously arrested for the murder of Rebecca Gould. On December 21st, he was extradited to Arkansas to await trial, which of course COVID pushed off because we're in 2020 for a couple years. But on October 8th, 2021, he was brought in and William Alma Miller waived his right to a jury trial in circuit court and was sentenced to 40 years in the Arkansas Department of Corrections. At the sentencing hearing, Dr. Larry Gould was able to make a victim impact statement, which you can hear in full on Helen Gone, if you would like. But in it, he did say, quote, 18 years ago, my life changed forever. You took her from her own future. You took away a chance for a girl to dream. A hell you created, a hell you must face. Mm -hmm. Then he added that he pledged at his daughter's funeral service that he would find the person who killed her. Quote, promise made, promise kept. So so that's right. But but it's not really, right? Like, first of all, after his sentencing, William Miller agreed to talk to Dr. Gould because he said, you know, I just really want to know what happened. At which time he recounted the situation totally differently telling him that he, he snapped and, and hit her with the piano leg, but then he came to and realized that she wasn't dead yet and tried to perform CPR on her. Um, and he just, he couldn't get her to come back and he was trying to make himself a hero. He just, he just can't stop lying. This guy cannot yeah. stop lying. And there are curious things in his confession. First of all, she did not dry, die of strangulation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There was no indication she had been strangled at all. So there was no like internal bruising and her hyoid bone was intact. And I know that that is a problematic indicator. Technically, it can be broken without being strangled. And you can strangle someone without breaking it, but it's hard Mm -hmm. because it's very thin. Second, in in what world would this man she had only met once, and he's a big hulking man, have walked into the home that Rebecca was in and she would have just been like, okay, I'm going to take off all my clothes and go lay down.
1: Right, right.
0: That's not someone you know. Mm-hmm. You don't strip down to your underwear and lay down in a bedroom. Yeah. There's like no closing doors anywhere. She was right there. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Right. It would have, I
1: I could see if she did, you know, quickly meet him before and knew that that was mm-hmm. Casey's cousin and he was just coming in to use the phone. I could see her just going back into the bedroom to lay down because like whatever because that's just his cousin, but like not getting naked.
0: Yeah. Not like taking <laughs> off your clothes and going back to bed. Yeah. This guy is in your where you're staying. You don't know if he's going to need anything else. He says he's mm-hmm. got to call his mom. What if he's like, hey, want to hang out or whatever? Like, right. You don't just walk away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So strange. So and th- there's there's more like weird stuff. Well, isn't the suitcase too? The suitcase was there. And they find it. He tells them exactly... Well, there's, oh, there was one missing. Okay. He tells them where it is, okay. and they find it. It is okay. exactly where he tells them it is. Okay. And it has, like, that hasn't been... Um, They're still going through all the files, but apparently there was, like, bedding in it and a halter top and a couple other things. Yeah. So he did pack up a few things and put it in that suitcase because she wouldn't fit in it. Okay. He wanted to try and, like, stuff her in it, which, which makes sense. Yeah. That part does. Mm-hmm. He also says that when he hit her... The piano leg shattered into a million pieces. Right. Which is not how that would have reacted at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That That's also... And they also found the leg. No, they never oh, did. what I they did. Nothing. Okay, they never found it. Okay. A lot of people say he threw it into a body of water or something, yes. which would make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might not ever find it in a body of water. And then there's the fact that he uses... When he talks about, like, driving past... The sheriff's department or what, or the the police department, he is essentially regurgitating almost word for word what George Jarrett had said about the roots to um, right. the dump site from the trailer, right? And he has clearly read everything that's been written about it because he was in this Facebook board mm-hmm. reading all of the information. And a lot of people say he just it sounds very fabricated. It sounds like he's he's reading out what people had said in the past, right? When he himself had said. Whoever did this took those gravel roads. Right. You knew about them. Mm-hmm. Why are you pointedly saying, oh, I, I, I drove right past the police department. And in later, like, interviews with the cops, he went on to say things like, I made fools out of everyone. I was living like a king in the Philippines. I got away with all of this. So he's, like, now talking himself up, too. So there's so many shady things about this guy mm-hmm. that we still just don't know. And lastly, there is the little matter of Casey. More than one of his acquaintances have reported over the years that he drunkenly confessed to this murder. A lot of people say he confessed to like wanting her to be with him and being angry that he was that she was leaving and that she was moving on with her life and that she had been with, you know, Justin and stuff. And he got really mad and he killed her and they can tell you that he dumped the piano leg in this certain trash can at the certain time that was, you know, then taken away. They have details. And, um, and even if he didn't, most people speculate that this, somehow he's tied into this. Yeah. Whether he committed the actual act or whether he was then drawn into, like, not tell on the family, even though it was this girl he loved. Right. And help with the disposal but we don't know and this is this is just developing day by day this is so weird yep and there are then there are also some people that so there's several confessions from Casey circulating around out there and one of them is also that he ended up killing her the night before mm. that they got drunk and fought and he killed her with that piano leg the night before and then in that instance they say oh, somebody else drove him to work. But she was at the possum trot the next morning. So I don't think that one's real. So now what about this alibi that, you know, Casey has? You might be asking yourself, well, it's not as airtight as you think. As I mentioned last week, the Sonic that he worked at was very liberal with clocking in and out. Employees regularly left to run errands without clocking out or back in. It was just something they did on trust. And Casey himself admitted to leaving work on Tuesday morning to change shirts. He says that he came to work, he didn't have a Sonic shirt on. In one of the 18 versions of this story, mm-hmm. he came to work early, early, didn't have a Sonic shirt on, and then went back to the trailer to get it. That would mean that he had left after he clocked in and went back to the trailer. Right. So he himself said that could have been done. Mm-hmm. There goes your alibi. In my opinion, there goes your alibi right there. Right. Also, there is a the curious matter of him making sure not to return home that night. After it happened, he didn't go back to that house until the police went back. Yeah. And none of the McCulloughs did either. Like, nobody went near it for, like, days. They just left it. And this is like a a crash pad. Like, people were there all the time. Yeah. And none of them are going near that house. And they're moving to Texas. And they're, like, (laughs) suddenly moving away and stuff. Yeah. Most experts involved in this case believe that Casey was most certainly involved in at least the disposal of Rebecca's body and the cleanup after the murder. And his his DNA wouldn't have been alarming either. If they did DNA tests, yeah, he lives there. Of course, they'd find it everywhere. And he admittedly spent the entire weekend with Rebecca, so it would have been on her too. Mm -hmm. The case files have all been released at this point, and our intrepid leaders are still pouring over them. So yes, justice has been served, but has it been served in its entirety? And also, like, Linda, Aunt Linda, isn't in trouble at all. No. But a lot of people think
1: she was involved, too. I mean, she at least, she, if her son did this. Yes. Which he's been convicted for it. Yes. Then her actions are strange. Yes, and they are. And she knew what happened. And there are a
0: lot of people that are saying that. She is like thing. an
1: accessory to the mm-hmm. crime, like how, whatever that is.
0: Yeah. A lot of people think that she actually actively helped with the cleanup. Or mm-hmm. there are a few people, I, I don't buy this one, but there are a few people who think that she may have actually committed the crime. Mm-hmm. I don't think she did. No. There's no reason for that.
1: It just sounds, I mean, this guy, this guy, William, has a history of really gross behavior. Yep. And so I do believe what he has done. Um, and I do think that from maybe being in those Facebook groups and from it being like, you know, 16, well, at that point, yeah, like 15, 16 years later, just kind of having these forms of stories in his head. I mean, I, people, like some killers remember every crime exactly how they did them, but his just seems so manic that I can also see him just thinking about, like remembering maybe the way he thought he wanted to do it Mm -hmm. and remembering but he did remember some specific details, but also, like, even the choking. Like, if that didn't
0: happen, it seems yeah. like he probably did choke other women. And Well, that's the other things. That's, that's actually two other things. One, the first confession he gave says he strangled her with a necktie. Mm-hmm. Subsequent confessions, he says he just hit her. That right. disappears. I yeah. cannot tell you why. It just does. Probably because he knows it doesn't add up. Yeah. But there are also, there's currently a lot of speculation that this is not the only time he's done that. Yeah, there's a lot of people who believe he could easily be a serial killer. Yeah, if this just happens because he saw some girl and mm-hmm. had, the, and he's never given any other motive, right? Never other than he saw her and got a, an urge to kill her and killed her.
1: Right. He's probably done it to others, and if he has been, if he has
0: been with like sex workers in the past, mm-hmm. like, here's the other thing. If he hasn't, and he isn't a serial killer, and he didn't get that urge, then he's like a hit man.
1: Yeah. But then that's so weird, because also this case doesn't really feel like, like, why would
0: she have a hit on her? What well, would be Casey had asked him to kill her. I
1: know, but that's just, like, weird. It's just It strange. is weird.
0: All of it's weird. None of it adds up yeah. enough for, to feel satisfied. Right. And then, yeah, is Casey just...
1: I mean I don't know I I know that we've really discussed this case hard on Casey having something but I also don't know how much we can say cuz he is technically innocent. Yeah. So it's
0: yeah well then I mean, he is
1: innocent. But then like.
0: then the other thing that I'll I'll put out there is this like what if his like crazy murderous cousin did kill this girl that he was by all means in love with mm-hmm. and then because of some familial bond or, or code that they had, he was forced to clean up his, like, girlfriend's murder right. and help dispose of her body. Right. Then, I mean, like, if he was worried his family was going to, like, fucking kill him or something if he didn't do it. Right. Like, Then Aunt I Linda's kind of feel like, bad for him. I know. Yeah, I'm like, this. this dude is, like, living with the worst of all possible things. I know. I know.
1: I was thinking that, too. Like, I just, I think there's more to Aunt Linda. Yeah, everybody
0: thinks there's more to Aunt Linda, everybody, because she's been pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty shady about stuff. But again, if he wasn't involved in any of the actions and he he was keeping quiet for fear of his life or something. Yeah, that's well, then that's truly awful. Mm hmm. Because you're not only living with a loss, but you're living with Mm -hmm. fear and you're living with knowing that you are part of the reason this happened because this guy's related to you and he came to the house because of you.
1: Yeah. Oof. Yeah. It's wild.
0: Yeah. So he is either a criminal or in like the most horrible, devastating situation I can imagine a human being living through. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So where are we at now then
0: with this case? Like William Miller's in jail. Right. And it's done. And that's it. That's it. Okay. According to current legal status. I mean, it's still being looked at by investigative journalists. And I don't know that Detective McNeil is totally... I think he's done, but he has to be. There's no reason for him to continually investigate it. I know. They have a confession. Sure. But the other thing is, like, who knows what the future is going to hold? Because all the case files are now available for public consumption because it's closed. Yeah. Remember, they weren't before. Yeah. So now that's where we are. If you're going back to listen to Helen Gone or to listen to Break the Case yeah. or any of the other podcasts about this um, case, or get into the Facebook board, go onto the Rebecca Gould Facebook board. You can read every single document, and they are being updated all the time. More stuff is available every day. They are pouring through it. So if there is other stuff to find, I, I, I think it'll be found. Yeah, yeah, but well, yeah. It's, the, it's a pretty, right. I hope you guys were able to follow that. Yeah. It's a pretty wild ride. And I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on this case at all. Yeah. I feel like our job when it comes to this particular case is simply to introduce you to it. Yeah. Because there is just, there's so much out there. And the way they have crowdsourced putting together information is, is astonishing. So technically, you could be helpful. Mm-hmm. If you are a person that wants to go comb through all those documents and look at stuff and all the photos, none of none of Rebecca's body. Nothing is disrespectful. It's only of the trailer. I mean, you could be the pair of eyes that see something that nobody else has, yeah, so
1: I think it's just more the stuff happening on the outside, yeah, <laughs> that's what I think it is. It's just like people protecting people,
0: I think so, too. because I, cause it just seems their family. I don't know. It just seems to me that at the time, of the murder had it been dealt with differently it feels like an easily solvable case yeah had they just looked in the right direction it seems like they could have connected dots and found william miller sooner you know and why was this guy so worth protecting you know what i mean like I i don't know unless he's like the family secret and he does this a lot and they just don't want their family member in jail yeah i mean that's that's another thing you have to think about like this guy, like, just says he just, like, snapped and rage-killed someone. Mm-hmm. You don't normally just go, oh, better protect Cousin Billy unless you're like, Cousin Billy did it again. Yeah. And then you you already know the checks and balances. You're like, yeah. all right, well, we got to clean up. We got to do this. We got to do that. We have to do all these things. Mm-hmm. And the only way we, the only thing that indicates that those cleaning supplies were dropped off any earlier than the day of the murder or for the aftermath of the murder is that Casey said they were. Yeah. Right. Aunt Linda could have easily brought them by. And been like, I dropped off the cleaning supplies. Yeah. <laughs> you boys well, better get to work. Yeah, exactly. They could have been like, Mom, you have to come bring us a bunch of stuff.
1: Yeah. And
0: she could have walked in there. She could have helped them.
1: Yeah. She
0: could have walked in there with all those cleaning supplies and helped them clean up. Yeah. I mean, clearly, Casey didn't ever think to do laundry. That's not a thought pattern that those young boys ever had. But right. an older woman who had managed her own home and had children... She might think to put the bedding in the laundry. Mm -hmm. She might think to wash all the towels. She might think to flip the mattress. Mm -hmm. Just saying. If we're Mm going to say that Casey was so oblivious that he walked through that crime scene and didn't notice anything, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what makes you think that they're extremely smart and good at cleaning up crime scenes? Yeah. Who took uh, Rebecca's dog? I don't know. I think her family did because the Mm -hmm. dog was fine. Yeah. She Mm -hmm. was totally fine. Her name is Lady. She's very cute. Yeah. Um, and I, I think her, a sister or her family yeah. probably took the dog. Okay, I don't think they were like, "Oh yeah, just leave the dog in the trailer." Yeah. yeah. So, well, I'm glad they got somebody for it. Me too. And I don't, I don't doubt that he was involved in this. Like I don't. The, yeah, yeah, I don't doubt that this is a crime he could have committed. Mm-hmm. I just think that's not all. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, the family came in when it came to cleanup. Yeah, yeah,
1: and that's. I think what's hard is that because if if for if Casey could be cleared in some way, yeah, it's until everything is out. I don't know that he ever could be. I agree, and so that's what sucks. That if he really is, if he was just like my my fucking cousin, yep, did this thing, and now I have to do this, yep. Like, I don't know. It's still horrible, but I am one of those people. It's just like. Okay, but he was innocent. He didn't know no. that this was going to happen to I agree with you. Yeah. I totally agree <laughs> with you. If it was
0: a situation where he was like family pressured or threatened into concealing this secret mm-hmm. and helping helping clean up the evidence, and there's no question that he loved this girl either. Yeah. Like there's no question that he loved Rebecca. Can you imagine that? You yeah. have to clean up their body and then mm-hmm. never tell anyone. Right. And you can't like grieve this situation Clearly, you're not going to go search for them. You can't do that. Your conscience would eat you alive. I do think it's weird, though,
1: that they didn't just, like, dump this trailer after. I know. That's strange to me. Because well, it's not like they don't have, like, money to just get another trailer.
0: I don't know if they did or they didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's true. We don't I know really know, the, like, their status. You know, but, he was, like, working at Sonic and doing yeah. what they could. I think it was because that's where he lived. Yeah. And it belongs to the grandfather, who seems to be, like, a stubborn dude. Yeah. But also, like, I don't think they told the grandfather. Right. I don't know that the information goes all the way. Can't I think it, grandfather. Well, no, because then you'd have to burn down his fucking trailer. Mm-hmm. And then he'd be involved in it. Then there'd be yeah. an arson investigation. Then there'd be something else or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. These are again all of this is there's a lot of speculation involved. I think you should go read everything you can get your hands on in regard to this case. I think you should listen to the podcast. I think you should get into it. And, and yeah, that's that's pretty much all I can give in that short amount of time. There is such an epic amount of information. So yeah. when you get into it, let us know and we can talk about it more. And I mean, if there are updates or if there's a point in time where like so many of you guys want to share theories Maybe we can do some sort of live mm-hmm. where we talk about it because this is just this one is. I think there are conversations that need to be had.
1: Yeah. Anyway. All right. Yeah, that's all of it.
0: So, toast. toast.
1: Well, to Rebecca. Yeah,
0: to Rebecca. Who to Rebecca and Lady. Oh, and Lady. And um, to the journalists who worked so hard on this case, to Catherine Townsend and Jennifer Bushultz and George Jarrett, who really did a lion's share of work and to Detective Mike McNeil who came in and took over and actually did some valuable detectiving. Yes. <laughs> well done there. Yeah. And to Rebecca's family and anybody who, you know, had her in her life and lost her. So, yeah. cheers to all y'all. All right. What what a mess.
1: So we do have one patron to toast. Ooh! It's someone that we know, Holly. Oh my goodness. Our new best being forever, E. Fitzmonster.
0: <laughs> oh esmeralda fitz monster thank you so much for thank supporting you. us that's, that's my breath <laughs> <laughs> we love you thank you for the support cheers and if we were blinded by safety when darkness came to the door we, we would, would be, be dead, dead.
1: Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pod, And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. We're like, you know what? There's a lot of cleaning stuff here. I might kill somebody today. Yeah. Huh.